Good morning, Crown. I want you to join me in welcoming our speaker this morning. His name is Quentin Marty, or we just call him Q. And uh, Quentin is a two-time graduate of Crown College, both our on-campus program and our online program where he got his MBA. Uh, Quentin is the executive director of Matter International. And what Matter does is they aggregate different kinds of supplies, medical supplies and others, put them in containers, ship them over to, overseas to their partners to be distributed for humanitarian purposes and the love of Christ. And Quentin is the executive director of this organization. It's right here in the Minneapolis area. Quentin also serves on our board of trustees. So would you join me in welcoming Quentin Marty, our speaker this morning in chapel. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me. I uh, have a few slides that I'm going to just walk through this morning. Uh, Joel gave you a little bit of an overview of what I do. wanted to just share a little bit more. It, it kind of ties into what I'd like to share with you as well from the scriptures this morning. So uh, when you take a look at the next slide here, a uh, little bit of what we do. Uh, really, as an umbrella, we work in the health space, we like to say. When we look at what Minnesota has to offer to the rest of the world uh, with some of these humanitarian issues, we see that we have the best health care in the world, they say, right here in Minneapolis uh, and then extending down into Rochester where the Mayo Clinic is. And so we have something interesting that we can export to the world from here when it comes to health care. We also have incredible food companies that call Minnesota home. We kind of serve as the breadbasket of this country. And so we have companies like Cargill and General Mills and others, uh, incredible farmland that's here. And so we can export to the world as well uh, access to healthy food. And so that's what we do at Matter. We expand access to health and to food all over the world. Uh, right here in our community, we have something that we call our Matter Box program. It's a box of healthy food that allows people the access not just to the food, but to the education, and then the ongoing training of how to eat healthy. Simple things like how to read food labels, how to prepare meals that are healthy. I don't know if you're aware of some of the alarming statistics that are coming our way that uh, not just in the U.S., but globally, the issues of malnutrition and starvation are now outnumbered by the cases of obesity and heart disease and diabetes. So in other words, there are more people in the world that are suffering from being obese than there are people that are suffering from starvation and malnourishment combined. It's an alarming statistic, and when you look into the data, you see that really what's happening is there's this lack of access to healthy food, a lack of understanding of what we need to eat to be healthy, and we know that when we don't have our health, we have very little. We have very little opportunity to give back. And so we believe at Matter that it's really important that we expand access to this health so that people can live a life that's fully alive, that they can serve well. Uh, the other thing that we do, uh, Dr. Wiggins mentioned a little bit, we send life-saving hospital supplies and equipment around the world. Uh, was privileged to speak uh, this week with uh, another trustee, uh, Roger Atwood, who's here with us, and we talked about the project uh, that he's working on in Mali, Africa. Just another uh, side moment to pray for the people of Mali right now as there's another uh, just crisis that's going on there, and uh, we're excited to be able to uh, continue working towards the end of providing this medical equipment 
that we can help people. As the slide here says, I don't want to go to any more African nations and have to see women giving birth on the floor. It's not right. We can solve that problem, especially from the place here in the United States where we have the best health care in the world. The latest and greatest are in our hospitals here. We can take that equipment. We can get it around the world so that we can just, from a human decency and dignity standpoint, make sure that people uh, have the opportunity to uh, have their babies on a bed. Uh, that's the least that we can do. The next slide, just to tell you a little bit of how that works, the gentleman, uh, I'm not the shortest guy probably in the room, uh, but the guy next to me is, was the tallest guy uh, for sure. And that's uh, Gorgie Jang, who plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves, had the privilege of working with him to expand access to health in his home country, went to the hospital where he was born, and we sent uh, life-saving medical supplies and equipment. And I'll never forget the day uh, at the end of the summer here where he called before the basketball season started and he came back here. He called and he said, hey, Quentin, I'm here at the hospital. There was a kid who was in a motorbike accident. It was really bad. Normally, when the, in the city he was born in, they would have to take them by a car. They don't have an ambulance to the, the capital city of Dakar for serious injuries. And uh, they were able to, uh, as he described to me, help them right there in that clinic because of the supplies we sent. He said, this, this boy, we were able to, to fix the wounds, and he, he's now going to be okay. And so that's the kind of projects that we're working on. I want to also mention to you, I heard, uh, got to hear uh, this morning from Zach uh, that, that there's some students participating in Feed My Starving Children projects, which I'm delighted to hear. Uh, we have a great partnership with them. We send their food all around the world for them. Uh, we also, at our warehouse, have a program with our matter boxes where students can come, anybody can come, and pack matter boxes, these boxes of healthy food that we then distribute right here in this community. So we work closely with Feed My Starving Children. I was just there last night speaking at an engagement with them uh, down in Egan, and uh, they are sending food internationally. We're providing access to healthy food here locally, so it's a really neat partnership. Would invite any student to be a part of that. One of our, our very best intern that we ever had at Matter was a Crown College student uh, who came and helped us build an exhibit that we have. Uh, we call it Pathways of Hope. It's an experiential exhibit where you go through six different uh, countries, talk about different issues of poverty. Uh, we are looking at uh, kind of expanding and updating that now, so we'd love to talk to any students interested in a fun uh, project about that. So, a little bit of what I do at Matter, and one of the things I want to tell you to segue into the passage of scripture I want to look at is this organization was started by some incredible business people here in town, Dennis and Megan Doyle. They go to Grace Church here in uh, Eden Prairie. Um, they've been in the business community for over 40 years doing commercial real estate. And as they were successful in their business, they asked this simple question as they started to give back to others. They said, what do we have in our own two hands? That was the question they asked themselves. They had a really unique answer. They said, we have real estate space. For some reason, God has given us a lot of space. Uh, some of it was empty. And they said, what could we use what we have in our own two hands for to serve other people? And so that's how they started this organization that today is called Matter. They began to take in supplies and different items and store them and really act as a storehouse for other nonprofits. So I want to kind of segue into a passage of scripture in Malachi 3.10 that says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Much like Dennis and Megan Doyle asked the question, what do we have in our own two hands? I'd like to look to the scriptures this morning and ask each of us to consider that very same question. And I'd like to ask you to consider three statements that Jesus made to his disciples in a story that you've likely heard many times. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and it's found in Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read that this morning, and we're going to look at these three passages, or these three uh, comments that Jesus makes in this passage. So let me go ahead and read Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Have you ever felt that you've been asked to do something seemingly impossible? Maybe it was to forgive somebody who wronged you. You were treated unfairly, and you swore that you'd never find it in your heart to forgive that person. Or maybe it was to help a wayward friend come back home. You pleaded with them to return to the path of family, healthy friends, and a life fully alive instead of a path of destruction. But your friend wasn't open to your counsel or even the counsel of others, and it seemed impossible that they would ever return. And maybe today, some of you are in that situation. You might be in a situation today that seems impossible. And you've lost hope that things will ever improve. For me, I'll never forget a situation that seemed impossible. With the work that I do, I found myself one day in Rwanda, Africa, and I was seated across the table from a woman named Marie Jean. Marie Jean was a genocide survivor. She survived the genocide that took place in 1994 when, in the span of about 100 days, nearly a million people were killed. This is in a country that had a population of about 7 million people at the time, and so 
one in seven people in that country were brutally murdered. One of those people was Marie-Jeanne, and she found herself at this time hiding in a latrine with two of her sons while she then heard her husband, her two other sons, and her parents being killed. Impossible. How does anyone go on after such a horrible tragedy? Marie-Jeanne continued to tell me her story while tears began to well in her eyes and then stream down her face. And as she recounted the story at that small table we were sitting at, she looked at the person sitting next to her, and she grabbed her hand, held it tightly, and then said to me, I should hate the woman sitting next to me because her husband killed my husband. But through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we are friends. We work together, we're reconciling and rebuilding our lives and families together. And then Marie-Jeanne went on to tell me that it seemed impossible to her that she could ever love or ever find joy again. And she credited Jesus for the miracle of forgiveness as she brought her heartache to him. Friends, this is the God that we serve. The God who works miracles in our lives in big and in small ways. Please turn your attention back to the story in Mark, and let's take a look at the three statements that Jesus makes to us. And I'd like you to picture the story kind of unfolding here. If, if you were there and you were one of the disciples in this situation, you're getting tired and hungry. The people that are there are getting tired and hungry, and so the disciples, in all of their wisdom, said to Jesus, um, you know, Jesus, it's getting a little late here. Let's send the people home so they can buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Notice this emphatic pronoun here. Commentators agree this was the turning point in which the story turned into a teachable moment for the disciples based on just two simple factors. That first, uh, due to the fact that this miracle is included in all four Gospels, it stresses the importance. Uh, and secondly, because the logic of sending the people away to nearby towns was rejected by Jesus. So this indicates, this you feed them comment indicates that something extraordinary was about to take place. But the disciples didn't realize that just yet. And they went back to their brilliant thinking and helped Jesus understand that there are 5,000 people here, Jesus, and as much as we'd like to feed them, we simply don't have the cash on us to uh, buy that much food. It would take eight months' wages for us to get the food to feed this crowd. So, sorry, Jesus, nice idea, but back to you. And as an interesting side note, the account of this story in John's Gospel begins with Jesus asking Philip where they will buy all of the food, and it states, he asked them that he asked Philip this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Jesus knew what was about to happen. And this display of the sovereignty of God in this story is a beautiful thing. The commentators suspect that as John wrote, he reflected back and realized that after the result of the miracle, Jesus was testing Philip. And we see in the scriptures that the testing of our faith 
brings about steadfastness. We read in James 1.3. So friends, be reminded that our faith is tested and our obedience in our testing brings about perseverance and steadfastness. Back to our story. Uh, in all four gospel accounts of this story, there was no question about what Jesus was asking them to do here. He said, feed them. But the disciples looked at the magnitude of the need. They looked at their own meager and tiny resources and thought, this can't happen with us. This is not a good plan, Jesus. And I've been that guy that looks at the impossible situation in front of me, and as much as I tighten up the bootstraps and get after it to solve the biggest challenges in my life, I quickly realize that the resources I have seem very insufficient. And I begin to worry and wonder what's going to happen next. I think there's no way that I'm going to be able to tackle these challenges in my life. It seems impossible. And I can only imagine what my friend Marie-Jean felt like when she climbed out of the latrine that day to find the devastation of her village. It must have seemed impossible for her to go on. We all face the seemingly impossible in this world. And that leads us to what Jesus says in his second command. He says, well, what do you have? Go and see. So they begrudgingly find the young boy who packed his lunch to go hear Jesus, and he had five loaves of bread and two small fishes. And this represented the abundant resources to meet this massive need that they saw in front of them. And this is when the disciple Andrew enters the conversation, because apparently he must have had a graduate degree from Crown in international finance, and he looks at the five loaves and the two fishes and says, what are these resources among such a great need and so many people? And I think this would probably be some of us, maybe me, we'd step in and say, you know, I went to college, I took a math course, and when you have five loaves and two fishes and 5,000 hungry people, well, frankly, if you were as smart as me, you'd understand that the math doesn't work here. And besides, there's a bunch of other sociological issues at play, uh, environmental issues. It's really not sanitary for 5,000 people to be eating together. And what would we do with all the trash that we'd create? And there's really nothing for us to do here other than to sit in the paralysis of our despair. But what does Jesus say in his final statement, his third statement? He says, give it to me. What do you have? Will you give it to me? And in that moment, Jesus takes responsibility for the miracle and proceeds to feed the 5,000 people to overflowing. You see, Jesus didn't ask the disciples to do the miracle. He didn't ask the disciples to bring what was needed. He asked them to bring what they had and give it to him so he could work the miracle. There's a bit of a paradox here in this story for me. We have the great God of heaven who's sovereign and knew what he was going to do even before the disciples asked him to send the people away. 
He didn't need the disciples to go and find the five loaves and the two fish to feed the 5,000, and yet he chose to include them. Our God asks us to see what we have in our two hands, bring it to him, and then he proceeds to work the miracles. And I don't know about you, but to me, it's a great honor and a great relief. Friends, what do you have? How many loaves do you have? That's what Jesus wants you to bring to him. Because you see, we can get mired down and lose hope when we look at the magnitude of the impossible situations that we face. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Just bring me what you have and I will work the miracles. This is a daily process and a process that takes practice. In my life and work, I often feel inadequate, unprepared, and quite candidly, pretty overwhelmed about how, how everything is going to get done. I'm desperate for my kids to understand the truth of the gospel, to turn from their sin and place their faith and trust fully in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that their faith and trust would be in Christ's work on the cross alone for their salvation. I'm passionate about being a loving, supporting, and faithful husband to my wife in a world where all the odds seem to be against me. Each day I go to work and I look at the magnitude of the issues facing our broken world. And it's easy to say, there's no way we can make a dent in the impossible situations in this world. But friends, be encouraged today. Jesus' words are simply for us to go and see what we have and bring it to him. We just need to bring what we have to Jesus and he will work the miracles. How do we find out what we have to bring to Jesus? It's a discovery process that begins early in life. We interact with family, with friends. We begin to understand our uniqueness it's a daily process of immersing ourselves in the scriptures and then recognizing our blessings and counting them one by one, as the Sunday School song reminds us. How do we actually bring what we have to Jesus? We bring our time, our talents, our treasures. We bring the deepest hurts and fears and the seemingly impossible to him. We continuously pray and make our requests known to God. We acknowledge the impossible and we submit to his great sovereign plan, the great sovereign God of heaven and recognize that it's his will we seek. My friend Marie Jean could have never imagined that forgiveness would be possible after the deepest heartache she had ever known. Much like Marie Jean, Bring the seemingly impossible to Jesus. Give him everything you have, no matter how small it may seem. And we see in this story that Jesus can use it to work miracles in our lives, in the lives of our friends, and in the lives of those people that we serve. Would you please join me in praying this morning? Father, we are so grateful for the work 
that Jesus did on the cross for each of us, the salvation that has been offered. We give you great thanks now. We thank you for the opportunities that we have in life to serve you. We think of so many around the world right now that are going through uh, more extreme challenges uh, than, than we see on a day-to-day -day basis. We think of the folks, uh, our friends in Paris, as we heard on the video this morning. We, we think of the people in Mali and so many other situations. And we ask you, Father, that you would continue to inspire us, embolden us to look at what we have, the things you've given, as small as they might seem in light of the great challenges. May we lay them at your feet. May we come to you and embrace you fully. May we look to Jesus to work the miracles. So we come to you now, Father, our great God in heaven, and we submit to your leadership. Thank you so much for Crown, the great impact that it's had in my own life personally and the lives of each of us here in this room. Continue to be with us this day. Lead us by your spirit, we ask. And we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great day.